live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day. Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party. Now, here's your host, Jordy Holtberg. And a great good afternoon and happy uh, Monday, April 4th. The year 2022, we have had some gorgeous weather the past couple of days. We've had a gorgeous final four, and now there are two remaining. And tonight in the Crescent City and the Superdome, it'll either be the Kansas Jayhawks or the North Carolina Tar Heels that will cut down the nets as the champions of the college basketball world. Uh, We will preview tonight's ball game talk about um the semifinals and much much more uh my buddy tim brando will join me he was uh we were both in new orleans for that didn't see him he didn't see me but we were there and uh we'll we'll update you on that one by the way my main man james mesh back in the master control suite in the game studios which are on the campus of delta media which houses klwb which is 1037 lafayette we're also on 1041 lake charles so it's great to be with you whatever form or fashion that you're doing whether it's the radio whether you're streaming 1037 thegame.com 1041 thegame.com or whether you're in the acadiana area and you're watching us on the television set because we are simulcast on stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. So we'll talk, of course, about the big story, which is the national championship game. Saturday was unprecedented for members of the media that cover LSU football. Brian Kelly opened up the doors and let the media come and observe the entire practice. Um, Normally, it's a 10, 15-minute window, 15, 20-minute window, uh, occasionally, every now and then. Uh, But On Saturday, the doors were open, and you got to watch. Wilson Alexander covers LSU for um, The Advocate, and he will join us to tell us what he saw during that time frame. Um, LSU baseball, man, they're just not very good. I mean, playing and honest and simple as can be, uh, they lost yet another series at home, this time to the Auburn Tigers. Uh, Chris Reed will join us and break that all down for us as we continue our guest list. Ali Cassell from At the Bird Rights. The Pelicans uh, lost last night to the L.A. Clippers. They still hold a three-games lead over the Los Angeles Lakers with four games left to go. There are no NBA games on the slate tonight. They defer to the national championship game. Um, So the Pels will tip it off the last game of their West Coast road swing. They've got the uh, Sacramento Kings tomorrow night. Thursday, they will host the Portland Trailblazers. Then Saturday, they'll be in Memphis to take on the Grizzlies, and they'll wrap things up on Sunday, April the 10th, a late tip, an 8.30 tip against the Golden State Warriors. Kings have nothing to play for. 
Trailblazers have nothing to play for. The Grizzlies, they've they've secured their spot in the playoffs. So what do they have left to play for, as do the Golden State Warriors? So certainly four winnable games, you would think, for New Orleans. I think they just have to win one, and the Lakers have to lose one, and the Pels are in. So we'll talk with Ali Cassell about that. And then the big news reverberating around the uh, the world of sports Tiger Woods, possible return to Augusta. It sure seems like it is because he arrived at Augusta National Golf Club for the second time this week after announcing on Sunday morning that he was flying up and also that playing in the 2022 Masters, which would be his 22nd Masters as a professional, would be a game time decision remember woods was in that serious car accident that nearly resulted in the loss of his right leg just 14 months ago according to those reports he looked healthy he looked happy and the early reports from the ground uh, that his golf swing looks like it can stand up to 72 holes of major championship golf whether his body can do the same remains to be seen billy horschel quote He looked like the tiger we saw before the accident, the way the swing looked and the speed. Um, Evan Priest, quote, just watched Tiger Woods on the range here at Augusta National. Warm up lasted less than 20 minutes. Worked from wedges up to driver. He did not miss a shot. Every shot was flushed, has not lost any speed. Oh, man. Does that make the Masters even more exciting if he's in there? Alex Myers of Golf Digest will join us at around 3.30 this afternoon to discuss that, what it means, and what the possibilities are. Does he have a shot at making the cut? Does he have a shot of contending? Nobody knows Augusta better than Tiger Woods. After all, he's played it 21 times. He's won it several times. Can he, can he do it again? It would be comparable, I would think, to what Jack Nicholas did back in, what, 86? When he came out of nowhere he, and won at, at the age that he did. Um, so we'll talk to Alex about that. Um, we are brought to you each and every Monday by Eon of Lafayette. Eon is um, the first robotic touchless laser body contouring device for non-invasive permanent fat loss. You exercise, you eat properly, you do the crunches, you do the planks, you do the sit-ups, you do the weights, you do everything and you still can't get it done in those troublesome areas, that midsection. You try and you try as you might. Well, Eon is um, non-invasive and it's permanent fat loss. It's more efficient it's more effective it's more comfortable eon is just smarter body contouring and they can prove it they can prove it it's an incredible device um that you don't even feel anything but a little cool breeze on your targeted areas everything is um everything is digitalized everything is scanned everything is tailor-made for your situation it really is eon is smarter body 
contouring because you know they look there's no pulling there's no pinching there's no sucking there's no freezing there's no strapping you down the way you can't move an inch it it's effortless it's painless and it is very very effective and very very worth it eon of lafayette soon to be eon of baton rouge and more news on the way eon e o n the smarter body contouring so we've got you covered we're going to talk the final two boy the blue bloods are out kansas north carolina nobody expected carolina to be where they are kansas that's another story uh, they sh- in all likelihood would have won it back in 2020 as the prohibitive favorite but covid knocked out the tournament and they're trying to make amends for that with this year's team all five starters were on that team back in 2020. Now they're veterans and they're ready to go. Um, how much gas in the tank does Carolina have after that incredible semifinal win over Duke that sent coach uh, Mike Shashevsky into retirement and just adds more and more to the rivalry that is uh, between Chapel Hill and Durham, separated by about six to eight miles. Uh, remarkable. So we've got the final four. We'll take you behind the scenes to what LSU football practice looks like, sounds like under Brian Kelly. LSU baseball troubles very much so. Um, the Pelicans, one went away from clinching a playoff spot, a play-in spot, and nobody would have thought that the way the season started. And is Tiger really going to play at Augusta? those stories and more we'll take our first time out of the day but first um i must share with you that you can experience festival international like never before by winning the games festival international prize pack sign up for the rewards club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com and you'll get a chance to score a pair of bonton passes you will get exclusive access to front row and stage areas shaded seating air conditioned restrooms you know how important that is express drink lines shirts pins and a poster experience festival like never before by winning the festival Festival International Prize Pack from the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Tim Brando, Fox Sports, Final Four Talk, or should I say, Final Two Talk, when we return to the Jordy Hulpert Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, or Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. They say shooters shoot. He's a man who shoots from the hip, and a man who's hip when he shoots. And no one shoots more from the hip when it comes to sports talk than the Blonde Bomber. Back to more of the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And we are back on this uh, April 4th, uh, Championship Monday. Last night, the women crowned their champion. Congratulations to the South Carolina Gamecocks. And tonight, uh, it'll either be Kansas or North Carolina. Kansas was too good for Villanova, and North Carolina is just too good in New Orleans. Did you know they're 15-1 and one overall in New Orleans? You realize they've won nine of ten games all time in the Superdome? Do you realize they are 5-0 and oh in final four games in the Dome? 
Can they make it 6-0 and and give the Heels another championship? Or will Rock Chalk Jayhawk reign supreme? Tim Brando, my good friend, broadcasting buddy, and uh, he's been around the block. He's done a whole bunch of games. He's seen a whole bunch of teams. He's been to an infinite number of Final Fours. Kind enough to join us to share his thoughts on uh, semifinal Saturday and tonight. Timmy, how are you, my friend? Sure. Well, I'm wonderful, Jordy. Thanks for having me on. And uh, and yeah, Terry and I were eight rows up at center court. I mean, maybe the best seats I've ever had at a, at a Final Four, and particularly when I didn't have a credential, the best seats I ever had when I was at a Final Four. And what we saw, I thought, in the second semifinal on Saturday was one of the top five games of all time in a, in a Final Four. Um, it was just incredible, and we had North Carolina to one side of us and Duke fans to the other side of us. And it was just one great shot after another, really the last five minutes of that game. And, and you know what happens when you've got a game like that, inevitably it's going to come down to free throws. And uh, I really feel bad for poor Kevin Williams. Here's a, a sophomore and a big man, and he's a little too long with the first one. And yeah. just like a three-foot putt, when you push it left the first time, you try it again, and what do you do? You pull it right. This time he, he came up a little short. Those two free throws were the ball game, you know, and it generally comes down to that when when you've got a game that's that good for that long. Yeah. Um, give me a sense, your thoughts. I, was, I didn't have as good a seats as you, but I brought my daughter. Sure. But your sense uh-huh. of what it was like with the anticipation and when Mike Krzyzewski walked out on the court and then what he left for the last time. Yeah, I, I think a lot of us felt uh, fixated to some extent on K both yeah. before yeah. Uh, the game and after the game. Uh, I, I tried not to watch – too much of him because the game was being played at such a high level. Right. But it was hard not to. It was hard not to towards the end of the game because you really sort of felt like, all right, they're gonna they're gonna pull this out. And I think when he took the timeout after the three was made to go up one, and uh, and before Love took that amazing shot mm-hmm. uh, to, to take the lead, I think he felt that he had everything set up. This was we're gonna win it with our defense here. And, you know, when you're in that situation, you know, you, you do what you feel is necessary as a coach to set up the defense. And yet, when you got a guard that's, that's capable of hunting his own shot as good as yeah. that kid is, yeah. I mean, that's just, you know this, Jordy, you were a scorer. When, when you're that good and you're in that zone, your confidence is so much, it's oh. so high, it doesn't, yep. it doesn't matter how well guarded you are. That's exactly you're going to make right. that shot. You know? Yeah, uh, you're right. That's you're what right. I was thinking as I was watching yeah. it all. Uh, Tim Brando uh, with us. Boy, New Orleans sure puts on a show, don't they? I mean, seriously, <laughs> they, they could host every Super Bowl. They could host every Final Four, and I think everybody yeah. would go away happy. Yeah, they would. And, you know, Jordy, as a native Louisianian, uh, I, there were times when I felt um, a little, a little uh, sad because – you know, all of the seats at Drago's weren't available. Not yeah. many as not many as uh, workers. Not as many workers were available. Right. Uh, right. To to the hotels, to some of the the great restaurants. I I visited with Dickie Brennan, and he said, you know, I normally staff six hundred people. I can only have four hundred now, so we have limited uh, seating available. 
And yet, even with all, all those post-COVID drawbacks that, that we all experienced, and of course, all the fans, no matter where they are, have been coming out of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone I talked to, especially those that were coming from out of state, were like, oh, man, this is so good. This is great. New Orleans, is, <laughs> we love it here. You know, and That's we, right. Terry and I were like, uh, we were like fans, too. I mean, we went back down to, to uh, Jackson Square, and we got on the combination carriage and buggy. We call it buggages. Sure. But we took sure. the buggages ride, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and just sort of smelled the roses, you know, smelled uh, what's great about our state and what's great about the city of New Orleans in particular. Yeah. It was good times. It was fantastic. I got to tell you, um, yeah. I'm with you there. New Orleans is by far and away the best city for a major sporting event. My old friend Jay Cicero, who's uh, the son sure. of Camp Cicero, an old baseball coach at Jesuit High School, Yep. that I played ball against when I was a kid. Jay has done a remarkable job for the city in procuring, yes. continuing to procure these big events. Absolutely. It's it's, it's great. The hope, the proximity, the, the, the restaurants, everybody want, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's a perfect, it's a perfect fit. Um, you never everybody focuses on Carolina Duke. You know, never- <laughs> everybody focuses on Carolina Duke, but poor Kansas is really good. They, they, yeah. they just took, they took Villanova out and that was all she wrote. The the issue Villanova had, I felt, was going to be, um, you know, what were they going to do about McCormick inside? And they, they had no answer for him. That was right. clear. But right. but when the guards were getting traps and getting turnovers, they had six turnovers from a Villanova team that, that doesn't turn it over. They had six yes. turnovers in the first seven minutes of the game. Yes. yes. And I thought the quickness of Harris really showed up against Colin Gillespie uh, and not having Justin Moore definitely hurt. There's no doubt about that. But yeah. it would not have made a difference. Kansas was that good. And, Jordy, uh, as good as it's been historically for North Carolina uh, in the Superdome and in New Orleans, they're sort of the basketball version of LSU. When they get to play yeah. a title game down there, you know what happens. That's right. That's right. <laughs> they're going to win. Uh, I, I think Kansas is driven by two things. One, they're the most forgotten number one seed maybe in tournament history. No you know, question. St. Peter's – sucked out all the air of this tournament for the first two weeks. And then Coach K and Carolina sucked all the air of the of the prelude to the Final Four on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And now it can just be about them versus North Carolina. And I'm going to tell you, just being as close to the floor as I was, I could really see it. And I've done my fair share of Duke-North Carolina games. I worked with former Duke and Carolina players. All of them to a yeah. man have always said to me, Man, whoever we play next is getting a break because the emotional and physical right. uh, aspects of playing against one another in that rivalry just is hard to come back from. Yeah. And I think the, that after that game was over, Jordy, it looked like they won the national title. Yeah, it did. Yeah, that, and I yeah. think it's going to be really hard for them tonight. I agree. And I think I agree with the Vegas odds makers here. I think Kansas will cover the four and a half tonight. I, I, yeah, I agree. It's um, it takes a lot out of you, um, and even though it, you're playing for a national championship, these these are human beings, and it's hard to that's right. to that's right. get that thing back and get it cranking and get it going again. But um, Jordy, this we'll was see. a this was a North Carolina team that until they beat Duke in Cameron the last yep. game, they weren't they in. They only had one quad one win. Yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they yeah. were they were a, a bubble team as late as the third week of February, and look where they are. Amazing. 
Tim, uh, Tim Brando with us. Yeah, everybody sees the games, but this is th there's so much more to the final four than just the two games. I mean, all the coaches are there. There are meetings taking place. You're involved in some of those things. T take us behind the scenes. Well, the the ethics panel, which I MC every year for the National Association of Basketball Coaches, was never more active than it was at the Morial Convention Center Saturday morning before the Final Four. Imagine with NIL and the transfer portal, you know, we got coaches like Mike McConaughey up at Northwestern State retiring because he just doesn't want to deal with the portal. Right. Okay, LSU's only scholarship player that transferred was a average to double-double at Northwestern State. Okay, yeah. that's the only player they've got now. Okay, yeah. McMahon has a complete roster to fill out, but the yeah. one player he does have, is coming from Northwestern State. So coaches at every level, 3-2 uh, NAIA, and certainly at the Division One level, if you're at a, you know, there's 357 Division One schools now, okay? And 65 of those jobs are a hell of a lot different than the other, there's others that make up the 357. No doubt. And what, as great as the portal can be for certain programs, it's really interesting because in the college football portal, it actually works in favor of the non-Power Fives. But in the basketball portal, it Agreed. works against all of the mid-majors. All of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, you go and you get a great player. He kind of slipped through the cracks in recruiting. You know, maybe he didn't start until late, didn't get involved with AAU until maybe he was in high school. And you get him, he has a great year, and he's gone. Now oh. what? And, yeah. and I think that until we get some legitimate legislation, some regulate, some regulatory committee to to govern what's going on, both in football and in basketball, uh, we're going to see the wild, wild west. I mean, the numbers are incredible. What some of these guys can make. Hell, yeah. the running joke I think in New Orleans is, you know, maybe maybe Abaji or or maybe a few other guys need to may, maybe stay uh, because they could take a pay cut if they don't go in the lottery. That's right. That's right. It's like it's like what is what is Archie Manning's grandson going to earn before he oh, sets foot yes. on a college football field? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I tell yeah. you, I, I hear all the stories about you know Georgia and Texas and all that with Arch, but remember, this isn't Peyton Manning's okay kid. It's it's Cooper Manning's kid, yep. and. You know, Cooper's as big an Ole Miss Rebel as I know. And, you know, he bought that uh, hotel, the graduate, right there off the square in Oxford. There might be some holdings of, of his that might might be up for sale <laughs> if that kid doesn't go to Ole Miss. I mean, it's just uh, it's amazing. But you can't blame any of these kids because this, no. is not, this is not their – this was brought up as something that – all the other young men and women that played uh, sports probably should have been getting, and the NCAA should have addressed and never did. And, yeah. and I thought it was palpable what Coach K had to say about uh, the past president at LSU, now the longtime president yeah. of the NCAA, never having returned his calls while he was coaching at Duke. Did you take away from that what I did? I yes. couldn't believe it. Yes. Uh, this is taking the no this is this is relieving the pressure off the NCAA. Hey, we don't have to investigate illegal recruiting anymore. We're just gonna put right. it on the headline of NIL. And it's off yes. our plate. That's yeah. what it yeah. is. And, and 
little memo to my friends down at LSU and to, to the new coach, uh, Matt McMahon, who, by the way, was, I got to tell you, what a classy guy. He was. He is. At the, he was at the um, uh, Champions Brunch that I host yesterday, accepting for his regular season title at Murray State. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so classy of him. And, you know, he's pretty busy now trying to find some players. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, uh, just think about where the program is and, and, and all of the talk about, you know, the sanctions that might be coming down. I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you right now, Jordy, I don't think this will be anything like what John Brady faced, which was three scholars for the first three years, nine scholarships total. Yeah, that's tough. You know, which turned out to be erroneous because David Burst coerced Lester Earl and it was admitted and Johnny right. Jones was exonerated. Dale was exonerated. We all know that story. I think what's going to happen here is Will Wade is going to get a huge five-year show cause. No question. And I think LSU will not have major, major sanctions. They may lose <laughs> the scholarship here or there, but not, not to the tune of what happened in 1997 when John Brady you know, came in. Here's what I say. This is what I think is fair, but fair never wins. You're correct. Punish Will Wade? No question. Yep. Fine LSU in the pocketbook for lack of institutional control. Fine. Right. Don't penalize the kids. If they're good enough and they get in the NCAA tournament, that's great. But here's right. what you do. Here's what you do. Yeah. You don't LSU receives no benefits from playing in the NCAA tournament. They get no money because, as you know, every game you win is more and more yeah. and more money. Now yeah. you got the rest of the teams in the SEC mad because they're not going to get right. a cut of that cut. And that's how yeah. you police each other. Yeah, and uh, let me say this also works in LSU's favor, Jordy. Okay, Kansas hasn't gotten their notice of allegations yet, all right? And the last thing the NCAA needs is for Kansas to be crowned champions tonight with an understanding that, oh, my God, what are we going to do to these guys? Well, the best way to indicate what you won't do is by giving LSU a lighter sentence. That way it will serve them better from a PR standpoint when they finally get to Kansas. And they will get to at some point. I hope that's the case. All right, two quick things. You got Kansas winning tonight, yes or no? Yes, I do. And uh, Tiger Woods playing in the Masters? Come on! If he doesn't, it's the greatest sports tease in the history of sports, right? (laughs) That's right. That's right. I can't wait to see him play. What if he says says, uh, to uh, the chairman, Right, he goes up on uh, Wednesday evening and he says, "You know, I just don't, I don't think I can walk all 18. How about I just come out with uh, Jack and hit the celebratory first? Uh, you think that'll go over well?" No. <laughs> Tim Brando, Chateau Brando, uh, tee him up and hit him straight, big fella. Always fun will, talking with friend. you, man. Take care. All right, Jordy, great talking right. to you. You too, buddy. That's Tim Brando. Um, Rock Chalk Jay Hawk. All right, we'll take a quick time out here when we come back. LSU opened up the doors to the media to observe, no, not 15 minutes, not 20 minutes, but the entirety of their practice on Saturday. Wilson Alexander saw it all. He'll tell us all after this timeout, the Jordy Heltberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Jordy Holtenberg is known far and wide as the Blonde Bomber. For the perfectly feathered golden mane he rocked back in the day at LSU. Just let your soul go. 
may not be as golden or as long, but Jordy is still making a name for himself. Back to more of the Jordy Holtberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We're back at 36 minutes after the hour. It was uh, something I, I don't remember. Maybe I have to go back to the days of when Mike Archer took over for Bill Arnsbarger that um, an LSU football practice was, well, was open in its entirety. Ed Orgeron did it um, when he was trying to get the gig on an, you know, it was he was the interim head coach and he had a very strategic plan. Um, he knew that if he opened things up, the, some of the media would be kind-hearted and everything, and they would say, man, this guy's great. But anyway, uh, Brian Kelly and his new regime um, opened up their practice on Saturday, not for 15 minutes, not for 20 minutes, but for its entirety. And Wilson Alexander, or who covers the Tigers for The Advocate, uh, was there, and he's kind enough to join us today to kind of share what what he saw, what he heard, and what he uh, what he um, felt about it all. So, Wilson, thank you for your time, man. How you doing? I'm doing all right, Jordy. Thanks for having me on. No, man, my pleasure. Thank you for agreeing. Um God, what y'all must have felt like it was Christmas in uh, in April to be able to go and, and and do what you really like to do and have the opportunity to actually see it up close and personal. It was really cool. Um, I've covered uh, college football as long as I've been in media. I mean, dating back yeah. to you know my days in school, and um, I've never before this past weekend actually seen a college football practice in its entirety. Um, I figured it probably wasn't that different from what we did in high school, but um, it was really enlightening to see how it works and how, especially at the beginning of Brian Kelly's tenure here, just Mm -hmm. to better understand how he and his staff operate and what they're trying to get out of their players when they're practicing, what the little things that they're doing and what um, they kind of say to guys, you know, in different moments and what they're showing them. And so it was a really, uh, I think, enlightening uh, experience for for all of us and hopefully for the readers um, who were able to get maybe a better sense of what this program looks like right now. If you could sum it all up before we get into the minutia, um, what, what was, what was it like? What, what, what impressed you about it? Probably just how structured everything was. Um, Brian Kelly designs the practice plans himself uh, for every single practice sales he does, his idea, you know, he's sort of known for taking more of a CEO style approach. And, um, he certainly, you can see that, you know, he does that to let his assistants operate and, and do their jobs on the, when it comes to being on the practice field. And he sort of takes, oversees everything. But he was also very much involved in a lot of, um, you know, coaching points. Like when he would really see something stand out that he would address it. Um, uh, there was this one uh, period where the quarterbacks were working on faith uh, into the back corner of the end zone, and Kelly was right there in the middle of them, you know, instructing them on their release point, you know, wanting them to really extend at the top of the throw and, and kind of, you know, get their hand out there. Um, little things like that, that, you know, these quarterbacks have never had a uh, offensive-minded head coach, and, and yet right. especially one who um, even knows little quarterback things like that. And so it was just kind of cool to watch it all. Uh, unfold and um, you got a sense that everything was very organized um, and very fast. Everybody's moving throughout the entire practice. 
I, you know, look, I played basketball at LSU and uh, we had and, and and the reason I'm saying this is because I know it's completely different because of the numbers of people. But, you know, Dale Brown, my coach, had everything scripted. Uh, we had periods. It, we, we'd spend 10 minutes on this. We'd spend five minutes on this. We'd spend 15 minutes on this. And it was there was no walking. There was always running, running, running back and forth. Uh, and attention to detail. If you made a mistake, maybe that five-minute period extended beyond that. Um, and so football is very, very similar, but um, it's very unique in, in the position groups and all that kind of stuff. Um, is it very animated? Is it, is it um, I mean, was it animated? Was it uh, more of a... They're getting to know us. We're getting to know them kind of a feel. What was it feel like? Yeah, it was certainly uh, animated, but it kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit in terms of just the amount of energy, kind of the different periods. Um, there was one moment late in practice. Uh, you know, they've been going for more than an hour and a half at this point, probably more like an hour and 45. And mm-hmm. uh, there was a special teams period. And um, the, the video uh, the, the video department rolled out these speakers and they um, – Kelly and Brian Pulley and special teams coordinators seemed to want, okay, at this moment we want, you know, music going. And they started playing Shoot to Thrill by ACDC. And Kelly is like commanding, like, turn it up, make it louder. They wanted to really get things pumping again for huh. late practice right before going into, you know, live scrimmage 11 on 11. And uh-huh. so it was sort of this um, very energetic time. Uh, I think little bits of practice that we'd seen before reflect that as well. Um, but the coaches were also, they weren't just yelling constantly. Um, you know, they pull guys aside and talk to them, you know, and just speak in, you know, normal tones um, when they wanted to make a coaching point, depending on what they were doing, but also a good bit of yelling as well uh, to get their voice across the field. Wilson Alexander, the advocate. Okay. Uh, LSU's got to find a quarterback. I'm sure you were uh, watching them. Uh, what did you see out of uh, Miles Brennan, Jaden Daniels, Garrett Nussmeyer, and uh, Walker Howard? Kind of take me through what you saw and and who, who looks the part. So Miles Brennan was the first team quarterback in the uh, 11-11. You know, I think this was maybe their full, first full contact um, scrimmage of sorts okay. on Saturday at the end, and, and he was the first team quarterback. He looked sharp. Uh, started the session with a 65 yard touchdown throw to Dre Jenkins. Came back and led the offense into the, t- to the 10 yard line, uh, where an incomplete pass on third down ended the first team's, um, you know, time on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was some frustration that they didn't get in the end zone again, but he looked sharp, hitting a lot of throws into tight windows. Seemed to just have a good command for the offense. He's very confident right now, and you can tell on the field. Um, Jaden Daniels went with the second team. Uh, LSU caught a lot more running plays, and he was also kind of quick to run. Um, not looking a whole lot past his uh, maybe first reads, uh, okay. checking down when he needed to. Um, this is also early for him in a new system, getting to know a lot of players. And with that second team right now, it's hard to really make a, a judgment, especially in one practice. Mm-hmm. Nuss looked uh, pretty good at times. Um, you can tell he's probably got the the ball just comes off his hand in kind of a different way. Miles has a super strong arm, but Nuss is just, it zips. Um, it really does. And, and he's able mm. to fit some throws into some really tight spots. Um, he continues to do that. He's got a lot of swagger and confidence, which we even saw as a freshman that just continues to grow as he becomes a more complete quarterback. And Walker Howard, you know, he's coming off a, a hand injury, um, and yet he's still able to throw, which is kind of the ple- most pleasant part right now. Still getting used to, you know, the college game, it seems to be taking instruction well and sort of taking it all in 
it's going to be a little bit of a development period for him. Right. Um, but that's kind of what you want as an early enrollee. So what's really going to be interesting with those, you know, the first five practices were all to be um, pretty even reps amongst the, the quarterbacks, particularly amongst Miles, Jaden, and, and Garrett. And now heading into this next week, we're going to get to kind of see more about what the coaching staff thinks because those they'll be start to form a pecking order moving forward. Wilson Alexander with us. Every everywhere, every corner I turn, everything I hear is that uh, Mason Smith is all that, and then some. The sophomore defensive lineman. Uh, how impressive is he? He is. He's incredible. I mean, we saw it as a freshman um, last year. Even this time a year ago, the rave people were just raving throughout spring practice about Mason. He backed it up as a freshman. It just looks like he's going to continue to make uh, strides. Um, you know, really seems on the brink of a, a quite the breakout kind of year as a, one of those defensive linemen. He's got so much power um, and speed uh, off, his, you know, out of his, uh, you know, off the line of scrimmage. He just kind of explodes, and um, it's going to be really uh, interesting to see what he does this fall because uh, he's just such a gifted athlete. Interesting. All right. Um, when you when you look at position group by position group, and there's going to be some players missing right now, whether they're hurt or whatever it may be, um, what what's the area of biggest concern that you detect? Yeah, probably still the offensive line. That was kind of the big question mark coming into the spring was what is LSU going to do on the offensive line? There's a couple of players out on Saturday. It seems like they're probably going to go back into the transfer portal um, and you know, gets a veteran, um, or at least try to, to continue to maybe have a plug-and-play option there um, for next season. And, and so that doesn't seem fully settled. Um, a lot of, I think, figuring out left to do on the offensive line. And then it's, you know, maybe not the most important thing ever, but backup cornerback, um, you know, yeah. might not be the first thing that jumps to the back of your mind. But, you know, past uh, Makai Garner and Jarek Bernard Converse on the outside and then Greg Brooks, at nickel, LSU doesn't have a ton of options. Um, we saw Demarius McGee, who's a, a he was a four-star recruit. Uh, uh, I guess uh, you know he's a sophomore now. Um, he was the, one of the first corners up um, when Jarek Bernard Converse has didn't practice last week. Um, and you know they, I think they like uh, Demarius okay, but you know he hasn't ha- played a lot of snaps. He's not very proven, and that's kind of your number two option right now. Um, they'll get some more corners coming in in the in the summer, but they got to find some depth at that spot. You weren't here, obviously, when Nick Saban was uh, in control of things. But those that were, like in this, unlike the Les Miles tenure and the Ed Orgeron tenure, they liken the Brian Kelly approach to things in in some form or fashion similar to Nick Saban. And, and by that, I mean it's no fooling around. It's quick. It's precise. It's organized. Is that the sense that you got out of this entire package this whole day where you got to run you got to work you've got to be alert and the coaches know what they're doing yeah you can get that maybe get that sense um because brian is he is quite sort of serious he's got a really uh he pays attention to all the little details um Mm -hmm. not that this happened on saturday but like early in the spring we you know right at the beginning of spring practice he was taking notes on okay what do the student managers you know assistants need you know okay there was one who dropped a couple passes um because you know catching them from the quarterbacks during a drill started dropping passes because okay he needs gloves we came out on saturday 
uh, same per- that person was in- had gloves on as they were as they were catching balls. Um, wow. Making little notes about that that minutia that you kind of mentioned earlier, just to make sure the whole program runs smoothly. He sort of sees all of it because he's been doing it for so long, and that really stands out as this his attention to detail and his focus. He wants things running and clicking at certain points. He knows what he's looking for, and he's not really going to be satisfied until he sees all of it happening. Um, he thinks he's still got a ways to go. I mean, we're only five practices yeah. into the spring, um, yeah. but he knows what he wants. Here's the big question, and I wonder if it was asked, but he didn't have to do this. Why do you think Brian Kelly opened up the doors? It, it, uh, Jacques Doucet uh, over at WFB actually asked him that on Saturday, and okay. Brian said that he wants people to have a deeper understanding of him and his new staff and, and what they're doing uh, here at the start of the spring. It's not always going to be like this. Um, uh, I think it's important to note, you know, come the fall, um, he was kind of known at Notre Dame for have, being very open in the spring when they're not working as much on technical scheme stuff and then kind of okay. closing things down more in the fall when you're actually getting into games. Um, that's probably what he's going to do here. Um, he said it's not yeah. going to be as open then. But up here at the beginning of the spring, when they don't have a lot of scheme stuff in, he he wants to see, he wants, you know, the LSU fans out there to know kind of how they work and, and what they're doing at this time. You had a good time then. You enjoyed it. It was a good way to spend a Saturday. The weather was great. I had my sunscreen on, so I didn't get too burned. <laughs> um, and it was just, yeah, it was fun. I mean, you know, to stand outside and that weather was, you know, would have been fine doing anything, but especially watching uh, football practice and just getting to take it all in. Yeah. I mean, I think all we right. all had a, we all appreciated what they did for sure. So it, Undefeated season. Here we come. National championship. Here we come, right? Uh, we'll see. Long way to go. Long way to go. Oh, I speak in jest. Uh, Wilson Alexander, great job. Great article. If y'all haven't read it, go to uh, go find it. Um, and it's really very precise talking period after period after period. Uh, it's pretty cool. And, um, and I thank you for your time, man. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Jordy. Have a great rest of your afternoon. All right, you too, my friend. That's Wilson Alexander of The Advocate. Um, Pretty interesting, to say the very, very least. Okay, uh, let's see. The world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo is coming back, and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, has your free ticket. See, we keep giving stuff away. You just got to join the game. You just got to join up. Text Angola, A-N-G-O-L-A, to 68683. That's Angola to 68683. The Angola Prison Rodeo returns April 20th. 23rd and April 24th. You can see all the excitement. Bull riding, wild horse racing, and convict poker. Text Angola to 68683. That's Angola to 68683 to watch the world-famous Angola Prison Rodeo, courtesy of Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We're back to wrap up our number one. we got a busy hour number two. We'll set the stage when we return. The Jordy Helpert Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Jordy Holberg was draining three-pointers with ease way before Steph Curry came on the scene or was even born. Now, back to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
All right, we're back, wrapping up our number one, one year after a heartbreaking loss in the final four to eventual champion Stanford. Number one, South Carolina got its redemption with a 64-49 win over two-seed UConn last night uh, at the Target Center. The Gamecocks went 14-0 against teams ranked in the Associated Press Top 25 this season. It became the eighth program to win multiple national titles in NCAA women's basketball history. So uh, congratulations to the Gamecocks for that. Steve Nash says uh, former LSU Tiger Ben Simmons is out for the remainder of the regular season. Also likely out of the play-in games. So depending upon if uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving can can get this team rolling and going, then... um, Ben Simmons is a is a wash, and he's already suing the Philadelphia uh, 76ers. So there you go. Keep this date in mind. May 1 is the transfer deadline, meaning if you want to transfer to a school, you better get out of it before May the 1st or you can't do it. So the SEC is loading up, and uh, so is Brian Kelly. So is Matt McMahon. So is Kim Mulkey. And maybe Jake Johnson needs to, too, because um, whoo, LSU baseball loses again. Our number two, Chris Reed, will talk all about that. Ali Cassell on the Pelicans. Alex Myers, Tiger, Augusta, the Masters. Our number two straight ahead, the Jordy Hulpert Show. 1037 the game, 1041 uh, Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Stick around. Live and local, this is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hey, baby, we're going to win. Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party. Now, here's your host, Jordy Holtberg. Hour number two of two, and away we go on this Monday, April the 4th, the year 2022. The show on Monday brought to you by Eon of Lafayette. Eon is smarter body contouring. It was inspired by one woman and her team of robotics engineers who looked around and witnessed a plethora of devices that ineffectively reduced fat by pulling, pinching, sucking, freezing, and even strapping the patient. They knew they could find and build something smarter, and they did. And Eon, the first robotic, touchless, laser body contouring device for non-invasive, permanent fat loss. In Lafayette, call 337-278-7641. 337-278-7641. Soon to be Eon of Baton Rouge and more and more coming. Um, one bit of item that I just got from my producer, um, who is producing like crazy, James Mesh. According to reports, there's been a trade in the NFL. The Philadelphia Eagles are sending picks number 16, number 19, and number 194 in the sixth round to the New Orleans Saints in exchange for pick number 18, number 101 in the third round, number 237 in the seventh round, and a 2023 first round pick and 2024 second round pick. 
I have to get verification on this, but if this is true, the Saints now own number 16 in the first round, number 19 in the first round. The Eagles are at number 15 and number 18, so we shall see. Um, one thing we know for sure is, look, there's still plenty of time in this baseball season. Half of the regular season remains, including seven of ten SEC baseball series. And right now, when you look at the standings in the West, Arkansas is at seven and two, Auburn's at five and four, and then LSU, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Alabama, Mississippi State, all at four and five. What is this LSU baseball team? I don't know, but I guarantee you my next guest does because he played it. He knows the game. He, he, he analyzes it as well as anybody I've talked to. Chris Reed, kind enough to join us. Big fella, how you doing, man? How are you these days? Hey, doing great. Nice Monday. Uh, just, just living life. Okay. Um, what is this LSU baseball? I can't, I can't figure it out. They seem to be, they seem to be talented, but they just don't seem like, um, I I don't know. I I can't figure it out. They're their own worst enemy. It seems like you tell me. Yeah, Jordy, I I, I think they're obviously extremely talented. I, I think they're just trying to keep us on our toes right now. Uh, I don't think they want anybody figuring out um, certain things about them, and that's and that's why it's a little confusing. Um, no, but in reality, very very talented team um, right now. You can you can tell they're feeling the pressure um, of of what was kind of bestowed upon them at the beginning of the season. Uh, you give them a high ranking, you got a new coach, you got all these talented players, and they know that. Um, sometimes it can kind of get to your head, and if things don't start out as planned, uh, it can right. kind of snowball and, and start to negatively affect uh, the players' mindsets and the way they perform. So I think that's a little bit of what you're seeing right now. Okay. Um, you were in that pressure pressure cooker. You you saw how teams sometimes crumble under the pressure. Sometimes they produce diamonds. Uh, LSU had opportunities in the uh series finale against Auburn, but um, in the two losses, a combined three for 21 with runners in scoring position and, and the greatest coach of all time. Skip Irvin always talked about not hitting, but timely hitting, and they're just not getting it. Yeah, I, I think um, obviously it's very, very hard to win if you're going to have those type of numbers and those pressure situations. Um you know, a lot, a lot of this stuff uh, preached to us whenever I was there uh, by Maneri and the uh, other coaches. Mm-hmm. Not many people really care about the single you get when there's a guy uh, on first base or a guy uh, not on with two outs or whatever it may be, but people really remember and really care about uh, when you got a guy on second with less than, an, uh, less than one out or a guy on third with two outs and you, and you pull up, you get a hit or a double, and you yep. score a run or you do something productive and you put yourself in a chance to uh, succeed and to win ball games. And unfortunately that's just uh, not what was in the uh, cards this weekend for the Tigers. They obviously had a hard time uh, hitting uh, the pitching that was given to them uh, in those pressure situations. And, you know, like I said, it's very hard to win those games. If you're going to sit there and go three for 21 or, you know, mm-hmm even slightly better, it still makes it extremely difficult. I, I remember back, you know, people like Kramer Robertson, Cole Freeman, 
uh, and a handful of other guys that I played with were extremely, uh, extremely good at hitting in those pressure situations, probably better than when they weren't in pressure situations. <laughs> right. And I think right. that can really separate teams, um, you know, right the way they, they finish in the season in terms of the SEC play. What, what, why do you think that happens? Is it a, is it a mindset? Is it a, I'm going to choke up on the bat a little bit. I, you tell me, why is it that some players are just in the most difficult of situations, clutch situations? Like when I play basketball, I, I always thought every shot was going in. And if the, that shot didn't go in, by golly, the next one was going in and I was going to take it. Uh, so it didn't matter to me. I, I, I guess they, they, they said I didn't have a conscience. But what is it in baseball? Well, look, I tell you what, if that's what if that's the talent you have, you may you may need to look into uh basketball a little bit more. Uh that's a that's a having that 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 kind of uh that that situation you get in where you are assuming only positive things are going to happen and yeah. you lose consciousness of everything around you, that is that's something that a lot of people don't have. Um, you know, I, at this level you would really hope that majority of the players would have that ability. Um mm-hmm. But you know, it, it just it just it isn't like that always. So yeah, um, yeah you definitely you definitely need that aspect uh, to succeed in those high uh, leverage situations. And you know, Maneri and them, uh, really one of the good things he was or he he uh, excelled at was pressuring uh, every hitter, every pitcher, position players in the fall and the spring. Uh-huh. Uh, he he made sure that when you stepped out onto that field when game when the game started up that you were the most prepared mentally and physically um, to go out there and succeed for uh, the the LSU brand of baseball. And you know I'm not saying that that Jay Johnson and uh, you know the coaching staff hasn't done a good job of that because I I can't speak upon that. Um, right. But I just know that it was a massive emphasis uh on the on the coaching staff while I was there to do that. They were almost to a degree where they were trying to kind of break you and to see if you were really made out to yeah. play for LSU, if that makes yeah. sense. No, it absolutely makes sense. Uh Chris Reed kind enough to join us LSU. Try to get back in the in the groove. Tomorrow they take on Grambling, then they travel to Starkville uh to take on Mississippi State. I'm sure uh the Bulldog fans aren't very pleased. I thought they would be better than their three and five SEC marks. So a very critical one. They're all critical, right? They're all critical. Yeah. Um uh I you know. It's, there's a fine line, and this is why coaches make a lot of money, I think. Um, you want to put pressure on kids, but you don't want to make them lose their confidence because as soon as the confidence gone, you can forget it. So how do you manipulate going three for 21 with runners in scoring or with runners on base and not producing and yet having to come back and play again and knowing how fragile some some egos and some confidence can be, that's that's the fine line, I think, that Jake Johnson's facing right now. Yeah, it, and it is, it, like you said, it is a very fine line. I think a little bit of it, um, it is going to have to be on the shoulders of Jay. Uh, you know, Coach Johnson is going to more than likely uh, have to um, utilize his communication uh, between him and the and the hitters, and, and try to really fire him up, uh, maybe more so than he has been 
recently. You know, I, he seems like a pretty uh, kind of a quieter guy, not really in your face um, uh-huh. type motivator. Uh, but you know, it may may be beneficial to kind of switch up the tactics this week because you have a Mississippi State team uh, that, if you've watched any of their games, uh, their pitching is not a strong suit. Um, and their team is, like LSU, kind of right now on the rails of, well, how is this season really going to go? Right. You know, like It is a very, very fragile uh, position that Mississippi State and LSU uh, no are doubt. in right now. Now, luckily, yeah. uh, like you mentioned, LSU's tied in conference with, what, five or six other teams? <laughs> right. uh, you know, we're, uh, as as as. Poorly as it's gone so far this season, they are still in the position to kind of control their own own destiny. Yeah. Uh, with, yeah. Without regard to Arkansas, Arkansas is kind of pulling away, but everyone else in the West is uh, it, it, it's really just a kind of a you know you can throw a dart and every and who knows which way right. anyone's going to go. So um, yeah, the hitting the hitting is definitely going to have to be highlighted this weekend with the Mississippi State staff that is not top tier. Uh, definitely after they lost their ace uh, early on in the season, and uh, I think I think everyone in uh, Tiger Nation is going to be glued to a TV and, and hoping that the Tigers can fix the uh, the hitting this weekend. If you are what your record says you are, the the Tigers are kind of average, and Tennessee is unbelievable. They're nine and zero in conference play and twenty seven and one overall. Twenty seven and one, Chris Reed. That's absurd. <laughs> Yeah, that's absurd. Tennessee, Tennessee at twenty-seven and one is is uh, that that's that's extremely impressive. Nine zero overall in their conference. They just coming off of a Vanderbilt sweep. Um, you know they got their team is looking extremely talented, top to bottom. Uh, yeah. The bullpen, if I'm not mistaken, has a couple guys that are touching uh, low one hundreds, uh, wow. and their and their starters are kind of. Uh, are kind of sitting there and, and, and throwing a lot of strikes, and they can bring the heat as well. But really, their hitters are are, are shining right now, and um, I think I think they're more than likely going to be the team to beat in the SEC this year. No question, Chris Reed. The Tigers will uh, they'll handle Grambling. Then we'll see what happens up in in Starkville. Another pivotal series. We shall see. Thank you, my man. I I really greatly appreciate. It. I go back to your paying job. Okay. <laughs> we'll do we'll do thank you for having me we'll talk to you next week man thank you so much that's chris reed uh terrific job analyzing lsu baseball we'll take a time out here when we come back we'll talk the pelicans they uh they split the la series beat the lakers that's the most important one lost to the clippers four games left uh huh. yeah Four games left. Goodbye, Lakers. Can they hold off the Spurs? We'll talk about that next with Ali Cassell. Don't forget the North Carolina Tar Heels, Kansas Jayhawks. Tonight, Caesar Superdome with the NCAA National Championship on the line. You can listen to all the exciting action here on 1037 The Game, Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Tip is set for 820. Man, that's a late one, especially if you're an East Coaster. 920? That's crazy. But you got you to gotta appease 
Please, those West Coasters now, you got to do it. Uh, listen to the Tar Heels and the Jayhawks battle it out for the crown right here on Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Will the Pels, who will they face? Will it be the Spurs? Will it be the Lakers? We'll, we'll talk all about it. Ali Cassell at the Bird Rights next. After this timeout, the Jordy Hulford Show, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. April 4th, 1988, Kansas defeats Oklahoma 83-79 in the NCAA Men's Tournament Championship game. Jayhawks power forward Danny Manning is named the tournament's most outstanding player. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We're back at 20 minutes after the hour. Let's shift gears to the National Basketball Association. Uh, The Clippers beat our New Orleans Pelicans 119 to 100 yesterday. It was a... uh, a 13-point second quarter that did the Pels in. The Clippers scored 29, and that was all she wrote. They played catch-up the rest of the way and couldn't do it. But four games remain for the Pelicans and um, some winnable games against the Kings, the Trailblazers. They got to go to Memphis, and they close up the regular season on Sunday, April 10th, hosting the Golden State Warriors. Ali Cassell at the Bird Rights. How are you, Ali? What's going on, buddy? Hey, Jordy. I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Um, Pelicans are in the ninth spot with a one-game lead over the Spurs and a three-game lead over the Lakers with four games left to go. I'm not worried about the Lakers. Should I worry about the Spurs? Yeah, potentially. Because, look, if the Pelicans don't stay ahead of them in the standings, then, of course, they're going to jump up in the ninth, and the Pelicans would, in all likelihood, finish in 10th. Because you're right, the Lakers, they're out. The Pelicans making the playing tournament, that's a done deal. Whether yeah. the Pelicans just win one more game out of these remaining four, the Lakers lose one, that automatically gets them in. So, yeah, the concern is really the Spurs. And I think you want to play this team here in New Orleans where you're going to have the crowd as your factor. Because, Gordy, I think we've talked about it even on your show. Right, New Orleans has not had a good history against the no. Spurs. Right, they've lost a lot of games. It's just been bitten, snake bitten by them so often. You just want to so prevent that from happening. And the best way to do it is keep that game here in New Orleans. Don't go to San Antonio. I am absolutely with you one thousand uh, percent. Um, I'm, I'm not holding anything against the Clippers. I think uh, the win over the Lakers when they were full strength. Um, I think. It, it's it's kind of like something North Carolina needs to be a little leery about tonight against mm-hmm. Kansas. I think there was a natural letdown in this thing. I really do. I think you're absolutely right. Look, I, the Pelicans didn't come out like they typically do, but they also weren't just, you know, being lazy or irresponsible. Right. They just weren't on the same wavelength as the Clippers, and it just showed, right? They got all the shots they wanted. They went eight for eight in that first quarter. Like, they were really focused. The Pels, you know, coming off that loss, and let's not forget – the previous one before the Lakers was that game in Portland, where it was a big deal for C.J. McCollum, right? First game back in Portland since the trade. So the Pels have gone through a lot mentally, and they had one, you know, before last night's loss, six of eight. So they've been training the right way. Last night, you do feel like it was an aberration. Ali Cassell at the Bird Rights. Okay, um, the Kings going nowhere, tank, trailblazers going nowhere, 
tank. <laughs> the Grizzlies can improve their positioning. They're the number two seed. They're not. They're going to end. Whether they lose the rest of their games, they're going to be the number two seed. The Warriors, the last game, um, they're number three, but they're only one game ahead of Dallas. So, so maybe that game is significant for Golden State. But the first three, I can't imagine. If the Pels just show up and play, I can't imagine them losing any of those. I'm with you definitely on the first two. I mean, Portland is trying so hard to lose games. And yeah. we saw the Falcons play poorly, and they still won by 10. And the Kings, yeah, even though De'Aaron Fox is just lighting the world on fire right now, I think he's averaging, say, 30 points and now hitting threes over the last month or so. Pelicans have Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado. And yeah. really, the Kings have nobody else behind them. And as you mentioned, yeah, they've just been, they've just been bad. And, and they're into also just looking ahead for the future. So those should be two wins. And yeah. With Memphis, you want to say, I can believe that the Pels can, you know, basically beat them rather easily. But look, this is Memphis. We've learned one thing, and they don't need their best players to play yeah. in order to beat some good teams, right? Get some good wins. So, yeah. you know, I know John Morant's not going to play, and they'll probably rest a few guys. It just makes sense to. But look, facing guys, what, 4 through 10, 4 through 12, it's not a given that the Pels can win it. They still right. have to play well to beat them, I think. Right. Right. Um, and then the Warriors, still. Uh, Steph's not going to be back. Um, how, how important is that game to them? Who who knows? It's uh, it, it's all falling into place. When you look at this this season in total to this point, um, with seventy eight games played, I mean that's a lot of games, and it started off so poorly. Was there? In your mind, was there a turning point to this season? And if so, what was it? And they got this team. Was it was it the trade acquisition to get CJ McCollum? Because that that didn't start off so good. It took a while for the team to get all acclimated to him. Once they did, whoosh! But was there a point in time where this thing kind of turned around to you? I want to say yes, and that was having a couple of big wins to kind of start getting out of that funk. And I, I've got to specifically point to that first win in Utah, where I believe it was the second, I want to say second or third win of the season. It was the third. Second one okay. was the Memphis Grizzlies. The third was where they were in Utah playing in a back-to-back uh, kind of set, right, playing two in Utah. And they won the first one because Devontae Graham hit that big three. And the Pelicans had come down, I want to say, from like five points behind. And ever since that time, they've just simply played better and better. They started realizing that, they, hey, they can win, right? I mean, that 1-12, in 3-16 start really flipped over. But it wasn't just one, you know, you, you can't point to just one thing like I'm trying to do right. here. I think, Jordy, right. that, that wouldn't do, you know, that answer justice, basically, because there's been just incremental, let's call it that, incremental improvements by the team. And with Josh Hart, you know, the Pels had started to play really well. Right, And then, as you mentioned, the C.J. McCollum trade happened, so it took them some time to get some footing. But if you look at each month, right, they've progressively gotten pretty much better on both sides of the ball. Mm -hmm. So, honestly, no, it's just probably more improvement within the team. The young guys just getting better. Willie Green getting better at his job. And the team just having that confidence grow to where we see them now. Honestly, probably believing they can win most games they step out on the court. 
give the assistant coaches credit. I mean, there's not much practice time once the season starts, but you could see the development of of Jose Alvarado and the confidence that he's playing with now and the, the emergence of Jackson Hayes. And I saw one play in particular against the Lakers where LeBron kind of got him right in the midsection. He he, he folded over <clears throat> trying to catch his breath and not soon thereafter, LeBron's taking the ball up the court and Jackson Hayes just leveled him. Um, Jackson Hayes would never have done that before, but uh, just a play like that shows his confidence and maybe he's a guy that needed to start, needed to get some minutes and he's really improved. Yeah, Jackson's been a heck of a lot better when his names or his name started popping up in the trade rumor mill, right? I want to say about a week to two weeks before the actual trade deadline. His name started getting tossed around, and all of a sudden he started playing better. And then Willie Green decided to start him uh, when Josh Hart went down for a few games, Mm -hmm. and that worked well. Jackson produced where he was averaging, I want to say, about 12 points, maybe six, seven rebounds, just making plays. Every game he was making at least two or three plays, whether it's a block, a three, a couple thunderous jams, right? But you felt his presence, something you were never consistently feeling prior to that. And, of course, when Josh Hart was traded, well, Willie Green decided, hey, might as well go with Jackson before because it worked before. And sure enough, it's largely worked to now. So he's come a long way, Jordy, and he needed to prove himself. Because, honestly, he was looking towards, and you hate to use the word bust for a player so young, right? He's only 21. But he hadn't yeah. shown really any signs those first two years. So he needed to take this step, and he has. So now, you know, the Pelicans have a valuable guy that they honestly need on this uh, on this roster. Because Jonas Valanciunas, he's not that paint protector, that rim protector you need in the typical NBA today. for yeah. uh, against, Especially in certain matchups. Neither is Billy Hernan Gomez. Larry Nance can do it but usually against smaller competition, right? Because he's only 6'7". Right. So Jackson's your hope, right, to be that rim runner slash rim protector that every good team needs if they want to go on deep playoff runs. Ali Cassell at the Bird Rights. I told you the Pell schedule. They got the Kings at home, Trailblazers, Grizzlies on the road, Warriors at home. The Spurs, their schedule at the Nuggets, at Minnesota. They've got mm-hmm. the Warriors at home. And then at Dallas, I, I'm not worried about the Spurs now. I'm looking at that schedule going, who are they going to beat? Yeah, you've got to think if the Pelicans, as we just talked about, they can get three wins these next four, they're going to cement ninth. Because it's hard yeah. to see San Antonio doing better than two and two even. But say the Pelicans go two and two and San Antonio goes two and two, well, guess what? Pelicans stay ninth because they've got that one game advantage. So you're right. They've got a much more difficult schedule. There's no cupcakes left. And it looks like Denver wants to win every game here and out. Same thing with uh, Minnesota and Dallas. So that's at least three that you know is going to give the Spurs likely a full shot. Yep. I I like our chances to hold down the number nine seed and to host the play-in game against San Antonio and erase those ghosts and those nightmares of game game seven at home to advance to the Western Conference Finals. And Tim Duncan and company broke the hearts of of Chris Paul and David West and Peja Stoyakovic and Tyson Chandler and me. So um, maybe we can erase that memory once and for all. What do you think? I'm with you. That was terrible. I was jumping for joy after game five, thinking it's a shoe and they're, they're going to advance right to the finals, Western <laughs> Conference finals. And yeah, yeah, that didn't happen. And even in those games six and seven, you still felt like there was a good chance yeah. that they were going to advance with one of those two games. Especially and game, game seven six, was at home. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Anyway, I don't want to relive it tonight? any further. <laughs> Who you got tonight, Kansas or North Carolina? I think it's going to be Kansas for kind of what you okay. brought up earlier. I think North Carolina probably feels like on top of the world, right? You beat Duke yeah. in front of that many people in a game of might be some described definitely the decade, maybe even the century for some. So I don't know how do you how do you get up for another game after playing in something like that? I'm not sure. And Kansas is a very good team, so yeah, I'm going to put yeah. my money on Kansas. Even though I love mm-hmm. North Carolina, I think they have such good top tier talent. Right, Joy, their yeah. starting five is really good. That guard is good, man. That uh, love. Whew, I love yeah, it. All right, let's wrap this thing up tomorrow. Let's beat the Kings and put, put the Lakers out of their misery once and for all. And it couldn't happen to a better bunch. And let's get their pick uh, in the first round and just <laughs> tell AD, see you later once and for all. So I love it. I love it. Ali Cassell at the Bird Rights. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care, Always Jordy. fun. Always fun. All right. Cycle Zydeco is a festival on wheels. Experience mouth-watering Cajun cuisine, live performances by some of the best bands in Louisiana. The ride will take place April 20th through the 24th. Would include tours of many attractions and options for camping or staying in hotels. Immerse yourself in Acadiana, the birthplace of Zydeco, home to both Cajuns and Creoles alike, and one of the most unique cultures in the United States. For more info, visit CycleZydeco.com. Org. I found out about .org thanks to my crew. They, they, they hooked me up, figured it all out. All right, we'll take a time out. The azaleas are blooming. The pimento cheese sandwiches are being uh, prepared. But is Augusta ready for Tiger Woods? We'll find out. Alex Myers, Golf Digest, next. After this timeout, the Jordy Helpert Show. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Please play Tiger. Please play Tiger. We'll be back. The Jordy Holberg Show prides itself on settling for nothing less than the best. This thing has a variety of nauseating aspects to it. Jordy has the best takes, the best guests, and let's be honest, the best nickname. The Blonde Bomber is cool as hell. I agree. All right. Let's play ball. Back to only the best on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, welcome back. 36 minutes after the hour, we will crown a national champion in college basketball tonight, which always means the crew from CBS will then head to Augusta, Georgia, for the Masters, which will start on uh, Wednesday with the, the, the par three and actually Tuesday night with the Champions Dinner, par three Wednesday. Today is the 25th anniversary of Tiger Woods' first Masters win. I wonder what Tiger's doing today. Anything happening at Augusta? Let's ask the expert. Alex Myers, Golf Digest, kind enough to join us. Please tell me he's playing. Please tell me he's playing. Good afternoon, Alex. How are you, sir? Hey, Jordy. How are you doing? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, if he didn't play, it would be the biggest tease in the history of, of sports. So, I mean, we've seen him make two trips to Augusta. He, he looks great. He's, he's, you know, giving hugs out on the range. He's smiling. He's, he's playing nine holes yesterday. He's, again, he's on the front nine today. Uh, the Masters is, you know, coming out with a sizzle video with, with music in the background and everything else. I mean, so I, I think all systems are pointing towards 
him playing. Oh, and, and he's on the you know the list to do a press conference at 11 a.m. tomorrow. I mean, that's the last thing this guy would do if he's not going to play. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting. It, it definitely looks like we're going to see him tee it up on Thursday. You are entrenched in the game of golf. It's what you, it's your passion. It's what you do for a living. Uh, you've been involved in it for a long time. What does Tiger Woods playing in the Masters mean? Well, I mean, look, he anytime he plays in any event, it gets a boost. Now, when you're talking about him making a return, yet another return from, uh, you know, injuries that we thought were going to possibly end his career. Um, you know, there were moments last year when we first heard about this crash where forget about playing golf again. We, we didn't know how bad this was going to be. So I think it's, you know, I think it's pretty amazing. It's pretty inspirational um, the way this guy's always able to bounce back. Uh, you know, of course, you could argue that a lot of the predicaments he's found himself in are of his own doing, and uh, I think that's certainly the case. But again, um, you can't argue that this guy just has an incredible drive to to not only win but to compete. And um, just for him to get back out there, that, that's why I think it's a win-win no matter what mm-hmm. he does this week. I mean, he could shoot a pair of 85s and, uh, you know, still have the biggest galleries. The, the place will yeah. go crazy if he hits one good shot. I mean, that's all we need to see, <laughs> one decent shot. The place will erupt. Uh, we're not expecting much here. But, unfortunately, he's always expecting the most, right, Jordy? He, he, right. He's not going to do it just to be a ceremonial golfer, but we would take him in any form. Does this doesn't this take pressure off of everybody else? Because nobody's going to be watching anybody else. It's going to be whoever is paired with Tiger. I feel for that human being, but everybody else should have a nonchalant focus, just have to focus on playing golf and not worry about galleries and crowds too much, as much. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great point. And I know I've, I've started to see now, you know, first there's there's everybody – is all excited and there are all these positive tweets. And then of course you just get to the point where some people have to be contrarians and now it's, Oh, are they going to cover anyone else other than tiger? Uh, you know, Oh, there's other players playing. I mean, it. come on. I mean, let's be stop honest. It. Tiger is the number one story. It's not even close. He deserves to be that the guy didn't hit a competitive shot last year and he won the PGA tour player impact program. Okay. That's how powerful this guy is. So of course he's going to get most of the focus. And to your point that actually benefits these other people. And one name in particular, uh, I think who benefits is Rory McIlroy, because I I don't imagine that they would pair them together. Um, And, and here's a guy who for, what is it? The seventh year, or I get confused now because of COVID and everything else, but that he's going for that to complete that career grand slam and each year we kind of lose a little of that and a little of the focus goes away from that. But also, you, like you said, with so much attention on Tiger, it just seems like he's not even coming up. Um, we did a 30-minute right. podcast today with Nota Begay. We didn't mention Rory McIlroy once. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. And, and, that, and, and he's one of the best players in the world. So, yeah, to your point, I think we're all kind of focused on Tiger. It's going to take some pressure off some of these other guys. And, Rory, I mean, he's shown that the pressure does get to him, especially at yes. Augusta National. So I, I, think, I think it is a blessing for, for a player like Rory and, and probably all of the other favorites.
Alex Myers Golf Digest. What's the rule? When does he have to make it official? I mean, is there a day? Yeah. Is there a time? You know, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think technically, uh, now again, this is it's not a PJ Tour event. So in a normal case with a PJ Tour event, you have that Friday at 5 p.m. deadline, or I believe it's like within an hour of finishing um, your second round if you're playing that week. That's okay. not the case this time. So, you know, people were expecting the Friday announcement. Sure, it could have happened, but it wasn't like it was a rule. Uh, now, Augusta, I don't know if there's any specific time. I think technically, because he's in the field and there's no alternates or anything like that, he, he has earned his spot. If he wants to play, he can stroll out there for his tee time uh, whenever it is on Thursday, I think, whenever he wants. Now, of course, though, you know, you don't want to tick off the, the people at Augusta National. Even a Tiger Woods doesn't want to do that. So, you know, just out of courtesy, I think you let them know. I think by Tuesday they come out with the pairing. So I would think that by then, um, just because they do have to pair him with somebody, that they would that he would probably alert them to make it official. But, again, I think by then, too, he would have done this press conference at 11 a.m. And, and, again, he's not going to do a press conference and then not play in the tournament. I mean, that's. That's the last thing he wants to do when he shows up at these golf tournaments, Jordy, is do a press conference. I'm with you. You make sure Nota Begay, um, who knows sure. Tiger as well as anybody, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. What did he have to say about, you know, not all the periphery, inside the ropes? Let's talk about Tiger and his game. Where is it? Yeah, you know, he, he didn't want to get too specific. So you could tell either he's hiding it or or, or, or whatever, but – he, he did say, he did make a joke uh, that when he saw, I think it was like an over-under for Tiger's score being set at like 76, he was like, I would sell my car and put money on that, on Tiger beating that score. So he obviously is feeling pretty good about Tiger's game. And, and like we said, you know, Tiger's not coming here to walk around and wave to the gallery. He's coming here to play well and to try to put himself in contention. And Noda knows that better than anyone, being a, one of Tiger's longtime uh, best friends. So I think, you know, he, he, he definitely didn't refute that Tiger's going to play, and he expects Tiger to play well. So either he's been hearing rumblings or seeing stuff or watching whatever the clips that, that we've all seen. I mean, even Brandel Chambly uh, was gushing about the way Tiger was swinging yesterday. Not just that he showed up, but just the way he was moving with the golf swing. So, uh, again, I, I think especially that first round, I think everybody's – not everybody. I think Nota Begay is expecting him to play well. Now, the big test is going to be how he reacts to that first round. Uh, you know, uh, we talk I'm about sorry, Augusta National yeah. being such a difficult walk, and it yeah. really is. Um, so, on one hand, you have a difficult walk for Tiger, who's coming off these severe leg injuries. But on the other hand, you do have a course that he knows better than anyone. So right. these things, you have to assume that maybe they kind of even out at some point. But again, I think the key will be how his body holds up after that first day to see if he's able to sustain um, any type of good play. But, but his swing certainly looks good right now. Um, if you're looking at the, at the odds makers out there, what are they saying about his chances? What kind of numbers can you get for Tiger right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, he's in that 50 to 60 range, which 
is kind of crazy, but it's also kind of enticing, which is why the odds makers are, are so good at what they do, right, Jordy? I mean, yeah. they're able to kind of like reel you in, but at the same time, you're seeing Tiger at the same odds as like a Sam Burns who has won three times LSU in the past boy. months. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. You know him well. Uh, you know, a guy who's been a winning machine the past year, whereas Tiger, yeah. again, hasn't hit a competitive shot unless you want to count the father-son tournament. Uh, he's pretty good. So, which, which he did look pretty good, yeah. But, um, really but again, so you, you see those odds and you think that's a little crazy uh, when, you, when you're listing Tiger with, with the Sam Burnses and the Max Homas and the Tyrrell Hattons of the world and ahead of people like Paul Casey and, you know, good players. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, but again, they can't put him at 100 to 1, Jordy, or everyone would bet on him. And then they, they'd <laughs> have right. a big risk in case some kind of miracle happens. So they have to, they have to protect themselves. I, I get it. Yeah, I, I always go back to the Al Michaels. Uh, do you believe, believe in miracles? Yes. Um, what right. is more uh, unlikely? Uh, you know, now if you're 40 in your, your mid-40s, uh, it's not that big of a deal. But back in 1986, there was a huge deal when Jack Nicholas played the final 10 holes at Augusta. Birdie, 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 bogey. Birdie, par, eagle. Birdie, birdie, par for a 65 that gave him his sixth green jacket he was 46 mm-hmm. nobody expected that where right. would this rank if tiger made the cut and was in contention on sunday yeah i mean it's it's so it's interesting because tiger of course is 46 as well but you're right on one hand you know jack was kind of seen as an old man then tiger yeah. not i mean you take away the injuries uh, which certainly there are plenty but yeah, you don't think of Tiger as like this old man yet. And and right, you see, you know, you're coming off a year where Phil Mickelson won a major at fifty. So you're right. We know these guys are playing longer and they're able to sustain it more. That being said, when that accident happened last year, I I, I mean, I think ninety percent of people thought Tiger's career was done. I mean, like it's just insane that he we're even talking about him playing in fact that he teed it up in december even at that you know what's basically an exhibition the father's son but was in contention there that was mind-blowing and now you know he was downplaying returning to the tour and playing an actual event the fact that he's potentially going to do it at the masters um yeah if he were to win i think it it blows anything out of the water let's be honest i mean i yeah. guess maybe the tom watson if he if watson had pulled it off in 2009 uh, okay. you know, 59 years old to win the British Open. Um, I still think this is more incredible just because, again, a year ago, we didn't know if this guy was going to walk again. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and obviously you have Hogan uh, in 1950 coming back and winning as well. That's probably the best yeah. comeback story uh, on, uh, you know, that. But the Tigers yeah. going for a second unbelievable comeback story. So I think <laughs> when you factor all that in, um, you know, it, it just would be number one by far, which is saying something because a lot of people think 2019 was number one of all time. Um, but, but you know, Jordy, think back to 2019. He was coming off winning the 2018 Tour Championship. He had a few yeah. top tens that year. He was one of the best players in the world. I, I believe his odds were about 12 to 1 to win that week. So that wasn't really unexpected that week, uh, whereas this would would be completely unexpected 
within this week, just because we haven't seen much of Tiger at all in this past year. Yeah. Some players um, don't handle the pressure well, Rory, sometimes. Some people thrive right. in it, and that's Tiger Woods. <laughs> he thrives on this. Yeah. He loves the spotlight. We shall see. All that being said, I'd be remiss because we, we do this for all the majors, and I greatly appreciate your expertise and, more importantly, your time. Uh, so uh, who, who are we picking this week? Who we got? Man, I, I am so I hate to be so boring with this, but I re- I really have to stick to my guns here. And and I think it was four years ago I picked John Rahm to win, and I said yeah. I'm going to keep picking him to win until he wins the Masters. And so that was before he was you know world number one or, or what now he's number two to Scotty Scheffler. But you know that was before he was a major champ and and quite the world beater. But I am kind of sticking with that, Jordy. I just um, I think he's going to win at multiple masters in his career um and so why not start this year of course his last win has was last june it's been a long time since he's won but that was the u.s open so and then you also have to factor in he had that weird uh dq at the memorial uh you know because of covid and then and then also because of that then he was behind patrick cantley at the tour championship so he actually shot the lowest score there at east lake he probably would have won that week so the, the hasn't won since last June is maybe a bit misleading. He's played a ton of great golf, cooled off a little of late, but um, he's such a great player. He doesn't have any real weakness in his game. And um, obviously with four consecutive top tens here, he, he loves Augusta National. So I know that's a boring pick, um, uh-huh. but uh, I, I'm going with John Rahm again, kind of an, an, until something happens crazy that, that gets me off the John Rahm uh, bandwagon. Got to have sushi on the menu tonight with Hideki Matsuyama being the first yeah. Japanese uh, golfer to win a major and especially the Masters, right? We got. Do we know what's on the menu? No, not yet, but I think he did tell someone that there would be sushi, which, I mean, he's apparently like a sushi nut. I think it was <laughs> Webb Simpson or someone went to dinner with him in Japan and said they shut the whole restaurant down for him and they were bringing you know, stuff that, that was still moving out to the table. I mean, he, he's like he's like a sushi guru. Um, and that's funny because Tiger served a little uh, sashimi, I think, or something at yeah. his most recent one. So he likes that as well. So, you know, at first I was like, well, maybe Tiger's coming back just for the champion's dinner. He loves the sushi. But no, I mean, Shorty, I think he's really here for the real deal. I mean, you know, let's get a meal out of it, but let's, let's play a few rounds as well and see how we do. But no, we have no, no official menu yet no and no curveballs like we got you know dustin johnson had the uh the pigs in the blanket uh last year uh now augusta didn't exactly do pigs in the blanket it was it was a lot more sophisticated than that but uh yeah you love to see that menu when it comes out but not it hasn't come out quite yet alex i can't thank you enough tournament championship tonight masters tiger it doesn't get any better thank you enjoy the tournament i appreciate it jordy thanks for having me on man enjoy the golf yourself take care Absolutely. We'll be back to wrap it up next. 
right, we are back. Finishing touches. If today, April 4th, is your birthday, happy birthday from all of us to all of you. Former LSU Tiger and big leaguer Lewis Coleman is 36 today. Special thanks to Tim Brando, Wilson Alexander, Chris Reed, Ali Cassell, and Alex Myers, Tiger at Augusta. I love it. Um, Man, my heart says North Carolina. My wallet says Kansas. I hate Kansas. So I'm picking the Tar Heels to do it again. Until tomorrow, I'm Jordy Hultberg. Everybody, um, have a great day. Stay thirsty, my friends. Do everything you can to stay healthy, my friends. And by all means, let's all be happy, my friends. We'll recap it all tomorrow. So long, everybody.